0: Bibles open, please, to First uh, Timothy chapter 1, 14. We'll be there in a minute. Um, I called my son Jonathan the other night. <clears throat> Actually, I FaceTimed, and we do that. That way, Papa and Grandma get to see the kids, you see and they were in the middle of of a game. Have you ever played that game? Uh, We used to call it telephone. I don't know what it's called now, but where you whisper in one person's ear your message and then they whisper it into the ear of another and another and another. Well, I called as the family was playing that game. And so uh, the conversation was just starting with Kara and then it went to Ethan and then to Deanna. Well, then it went to Emsley and Emsley's four, okay? Playing the game's hard enough, but playing with a four-year-old, okay? <laughs> and so she came over, and I saw on the phone that she's whispering the message into Jonathan's ear. And he said, huh? <laughs> and she repeats it yet again, and then he has to repeat it back. Needless to say, it sounded nothing like what the original was whatsoever. Here's the thing. Satan whispers in our ear but he is absolutely intelligible we hear it absolutely well and many times it sounds like our own voice it sounds like he's the one putting the words in my, my, my mind and it just the lies go crazy and it sounds like these are reasonable thoughts that are coming out of my own brain now I, I might be the only person here that's afflicted with this disease but I got a feeling probably not Satan is a liar He's always been a liar. He always will be a liar. He is the father, the scripture says, of all lies. He looks at God's beauty. He looks at God's truth. And he creates devilish counterfeits for each and every one of those. And the lies that he whispers into our ear are to destroy us, to keep us from coming to faith in Christ. Or once we've come into faith in Christ, to keep us from growing in our faith in Christ. And so it is imperative, the Scripture tells us, we we are not ignorant of Satan's wiles, his schemes. And so understanding some of his lies, and holding up those lies, and then holding up God's truth, and then finding the truth, the reality between the two, brings us freedom. And that's what this series has been about. Satan's best lies. These are some that he's caught me with, some that maybe he's caught you with but lies that he continues to be using all around the world. We looked at how he wants us to think that nationalism and patriotism are the same thing. They're not. We looked at how he wants us to think that all roads lead to heaven. Doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And we saw God's truth in relation to that. That truth is whatever you want it to be. We examined that and we examined absolute truth, truth apart from anybody's interpretation. Then we looked at the lie about it's all about me, that, that, that I'm the one, the center of this universe, it's all about me, whether it's about worship or politics or whatever it is, it's how I am impacted and that's what's most important. Then we looked at the lie, it's your body, you can do with it whatever you want. And we held up the truth of God's word that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, God living within us, and that's a lie. Then we looked at that one, oh, you have plenty of time. You don't have to make this decision today. Uh, You've got plenty of time not knowing that life can be so incredibly short. Then Derek brought a tremendous message about the lie that you can't change. You're the way you are. You're stuck there. You just can't change. Well, today I want to bring to you the next to the last of these lies I want to pay attention to. And I, I want you to hear it. This is one that has doomed and damned so many people to eternity apart from Jesus Christ. Here's what he's whispering. Maybe into your ear right now. Some people are beyond saving. Some people are too bad, too corrupt, too vile. They've done too many horrible things in order for even God to save them. Listen, I don't know if you've heard that whisper in your ear, but I sure have. And it can be very convincing. When he plays video of your past life, when he plays audio transcripts of things you've said, yeah, maybe you've heard this whisper, you can never be forgiven what you've done. You're too bad a sinner to be saved. You remember, and you do. God's forgiveness is fine for others, but not for you. That that sin that you committed is utterly unforgivable. You're too rotten to the core to ever change. And then... One that goes right along with that takes you out from under the magnifying glass, and you reach and you get somebody else and put it under the magnifying glass. And you, that person, after what they did to me, are unforgivable. Let's pray, Father. Satan's lies, when whispered in our ears, are absolutely intelligible. They sound so logical, sometimes even sound scriptural. And we wither under the weight of his counterfeits. Holy Spirit, apart from you, and you bring the word of God to bear into our lives, We cannot stand against those lies. Lord Jesus, when you were tempted in the wilderness, you you showed us the pattern. For every one of Satan's lies, there is the truth of God that can be held up against him. So bring that truth to our eyes and minister it to our hearts today. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Derek read this passage earlier. I want to just reread it today. This is from the NIV. I don't usually use that. It's a good translation, but I don't usually use that. But it has a phrase that I've wanted to hold on to today. From 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Can you say that? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Along with faith and love that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a trustworthy seed that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's what Paul writes to young Timothy. He says, but for that very reason, That I was the worst. For that very reason, I was shown mercy. Me, the worst of sinners. That Christ Jesus might display the immense patience and example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, right there. I I I just want to thank you. Many of us, when we get to heaven, are going to say, Paul, come here. I want to talk to you a minute. I want to debate this issue as to whether or not you were the worst. But God allowed that to go in his word. And here's what he's saying. Someone who is as rotten And has done the things, falsely accused people, have them arrested, have them executed, a murderer. Someone who has done this is not beyond my reach of grace. And he did that, Paul says, that I can be one of the many living examples of how God's arm is not shortened that he can't save. This is God's delight. I read an interesting article the other day. I was embarrassed by it, Derek, but I read an interesting article the other day about a man who had a hobby. And his hobby, his love, what he loved to do was clean house. I need to quit preaching now and gone to meddling I had now. Okay, he loved get his phone number. Okay, <laughs> yes, ma'am. He loved cleaning. Let me tell you what he loved to do. The article said one of the things that he loved to do best was to go in the kitchen. Now, if I cleaned my wife's kitchen like this, she would probably shoot me. All right, not because she wouldn't delight in it, it's because it would make her look bad. He loved to get on his hands and knees with cleaning materials and go around the bottom of the cabinets and especially get back in the corners there. And the more dirt and grime he fell, the happier he bet. He's a weird man. I want you to know that. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to know something. My God has a hobby. And that hobby is looking for the grime and the filth and the recesses of my life and yours. And the more he finds and the more he cleans, the happier he gets because he's fulfilling his joy to see people come to cleansing and wholeness and fullness in his son, Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to know. No one, Anywhere in all time is beyond the ability of my Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse and heal their lives. Some folks, when we're especially when we're hurt or when we've done something despicable, there's a justice in our heart. And we know we cannot forgive. We cannot forgive ourselves. And we find it impossible to forgive somebody else. And therefore, we deduce that we or they or both are unforgivable. Beyond the reach of God's grace. And that's what Satan would whisper into your ear. Other people are worthy of that grace. Other people deserve a second chance. Other people, but not you. Not you. You are too far gone. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt unforgivable? It may surprise you that the great reformer, Martin Luther, felt that way. He was absolutely convinced that God could not forgive and accept a man like him. And then he began to study the Word of God. Good idea. Good idea. And specifically, he was studying the book of Romans. And he found in the book of Romans that the the basis upon which God gives his grace is not to those who have got their lives sorted out. That the basis upon which he gave his mercy was not those who deserved it. No one could do the good and right things that would move the heart of God in such a way that in payment for their goodness he would give them grace. What he found was that salvation was by grace through faith. And that followed, was followed by good works that expressed that grace. It transformed his life. It gave him a whole new perspective. And he had to come to the fact That he admitted, I am not beyond God's saving power. He would identify with Paul when Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners. But I want you to look here at what he says. What the Bible says about this man, Paul, for a moment. Just a few verses earlier, verse 13, as he writes to Timothy, he said, I was once a blasphemer. Now, that, that, that was the worst possible um, sin to be committed. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church. I was a violent man. That's how Paul described himself when he was writing to the church at Galatia in Galatians 1.13. He said, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And we have a record of that in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. And it was such, it says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. This, this is Paul. Saul at that time was his name. He, his, his rejection of Christ was so incredibly complete. And he had been so intensely horrible that when, when he turned his life in, over to Jesus Christ and later wanted to come back to the church, the disciples weren't so sure. A man like this, he's pretending. Maybe he's pretending. And he wants to get in and, and, and get to the leadership of the church to where he can drag off and kill even more. And, and, and they didn't want him. They didn't want him. He was too bad for the church. Look, there's a lot of folks that the church feels are too bad. No, no, you, you, you need to go to another church, maybe one down the street. See, we only have... Grade A USDA prime sinners here. Paul wasn't accepted by the early church. He was too bad a sinner to be accepted by the church, but he wasn't too bad a sinner to be accepted by Jesus Christ and eternally cleansed and changed by his blood. And note what Paul said Paul never got over who he was. Paul knew who he was in Christ, but he never got over who he was before he came to faith in Christ. He doesn't say here, I was a sinner. He said, I am a sinner. He knew that still he continued to fail his Lord. He, He was not perfect. He didn't live a perfect life. But in spite of his disbelief and his persecution, Christ saved him. Paul deserved God's wrath. But what he got was his mercy. And even after all the years after that, as he writes to Timothy, he still feels the weight of his former life. Did he not know he was forgiven? Yes, he knew he was forgiven. Folks, here's something you need to know. You can be forgiven of your sins, but you still have to pay the consequences of those sins. It's not hellfire and judgment, but you still have to live as a result of those decisions that you made and spend your life sometimes cleaning up some mess. Paul says he's not only saved to where he could be the preacher to the Gentile, He was saved where he could be an example. And in Paul's opinion, he was the worst of sinners. And if God could save the worst, he could save anybody and transform their lives. Let me tell you something. Christ didn't come to save upright people. He didn't come looking to call the righteous together and says, okay, y'all are so good. Come on, I'm going to let you into heaven. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels because they're so similar in a lot of different ways and some of the verses are the same. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record these exact words. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but rather sinners to repentance. He didn't give his life for those who were pleasing to God. He died on the cross for the worst there were. He, he died on the cross for Pilate. He died on the cross for Judas. He died on the cross for you. Now you can be like Pilate and Judas and reject him. You can be like Paul who was the worst of sinners And receive him And it makes all the difference In the world He didn't come to call the righteous folks Look, if it were possible For you and I to live a good enough life To make it into heaven on our own Jesus' coming was futile And his sacrifice Was dung It was worthless But none of us could build our own bridge to heaven. None of us could make our own way. And so Christ did come, and he did give his life. And he is the way. So what is it that, that, that we're to do? The Bible tells us that you and I are to believe and receive. Those two words, believe and receive. Believe and receive. We, we're to believe that, first of all, that we would challenge Paul for being the worst of sinners. The only person Christ cannot save is the person who is convinced they're not lost. That they don't need salvation. They don't need God. The Holy Spirit's got to break through and convict them of that. But for the person who will admit that they are a sinner in need of God's grace... And believed that when Jesus died on the cross, it was to take their sins upon himself. And to experience God's absolute wrath on their sin. When they believed that Christ rose from the dead to give them eternal life. When they believed that and embraced that into their lives. An amazing thing happened. Holy Spirit invades that life. The presence of God himself invades that life and begins the process of transformation, absolute change. Paul's life so radically changed, his name changed from Saul to Paul. Others had life-changing experiences in the Bible and their name changed. Jacob met God at Bethel. And his life was changed, and so his name was changed to Israel. When you come to believe in Christ, your life so radically begins to change. Not all instantaneous, but it so radically begins to change that there is a brand new name given to you. Did you know that? You you have a name that's been given to you that you, you, you don't even know what it is. It's a name written down in heaven, and it's your name, and nobody else has that name. I may not even be able to pronounce it right now. There may not be enough letters in my alphabet to pronounce that name, but your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and it's because you're being transformed. You're being changed. Moment by moment, as Holy Spirit lives within us and ministers within us. We're being changed and transformed by God Himself. Dr. Charles Stanley wrote a little article. Can I read just a little bit of it to you? He says, Sometimes people avoid Christ's offer of salvation because they feel they've messed up so badly that their sins are unforgivable. Perhaps that was how John Newton felt the former slave trader, after he had, before he had experienced God's mercy and penned a line from the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The Apostle Paul had similar feelings. He saw himself as the foremost of sinners. But that didn't stop him from believing in Jesus as his Savior. In fact, as he looked back on the wonder of the display of God's grace in his life, Paul recognized that he was being used as an example of how far God's grace can reach. Jesus came to save sinners. So if you're a sinner, his grace is available to you. In other words, if Paul and John Newton's sins were forgivable, so are yours. In fact, those who regard themselves as wretches are in a better position than many who consider themselves unneedful of Christ's love. God's grace comes to those who acknowledge their sins and need His salvation. No matter how great your sins, God's grace is greater. If you accept His offer, God may even use your past as a witness to others that they can be saved as well. Let me give you one word to hang this on. Let me give you one word to hang it on. This this can be a plaque that goes over your desk. It can be one that that goes to your front door. It comes out of the famous, most quoted verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever. Say that with me. Whosoever. Say it one more time. Whosoever. That means whosoever. In the Greek that means whosoever. In Spanish, it means whosoever. In Hebrew, it means whosoever. It means whoever will receive Jesus Christ, no matter their past, no matter their past, they can have Christ as their Lord and Savior. Can I tell you just a moment? In my early years as a believer, Because I didn't grow up in church I I didn't grow up in Sunday school and vacation Bible school Hearing sermons and great songs About our eternal security And so on and so forth I, I, I knew the person I was Before I came to faith in Christ But I was brand new to this Being a brand new creature and, and, and I was just so amazed about how God could accept me and forgive me and love me, knowing who I was and what I had done. There were times Satan would come and whisper into my ear, even though I was a believer, and say, "Not you, not you. It's for all these other good folks here in this wonderful church, but it's not for you. Not with what you've done." And I would worry. I would worry, am, am I really saved? Am, am I doing everything I need to do? Am I keeping all the rules? Am I doing all the right things? Is, is God happy with me? He's pleased with me? Am I, I'm doing enough good things to where he, I get his stamp of approval? Can I, can I lose this? Can, can I drop it and it break? It, it worried me. I spent way, way, way too long in my life because here's what I was believing. And it was Satan's lie. It's a spinoff of this lie. God can save you, but then it's up to you to keep saved. God can forgive you for all those past things, but you got you, you to live up to that the rest of your life. And I hadn't. And I still haven't. And I was tormented by that. I was tormented by that. And I don't know how many times I'd come to the altar and I'd pray and say, God, maybe I didn't mean it as much then, but I I really, really mean it now. I I really want to confess my sins to you. And I I really want to give you my life. And I really want you to come into my heart. And I really want you to save me. And I'd I'd rededicate my life. And I'd rededicate it again and rededicate it again. I wore out a good rededicator. I really did. But you see, that makes salvation all about me. And me being able to earn it. And me being able to qualify to keep it. And then finally a, a a wonderful Sunday school teacher, thank God for Sunday school teachers. A wonderful Sunday school teacher said, Fred, you're fretting about something you don't need to worry about. And she took me to, to John chapter 10. where where Jesus says that, that he puts me in his hand and wraps me up in that huge hand of his, and I'm safe and secure. And the Almighty Father comes and puts his huge hand over the hand of Christ. And Jesus himself says, no one can snatch them out of our hand that your salvation is not based on what you do. It's based on what Christ has done. And it's done. It's a done deal. Can I tell you the weight that fell off my shoulders? Can you imagine how good it is to breathe the air free from that kind of fear? Maybe you've never breathed that air. Maybe you're still breathing the same putrid air that I breathe, thinking it's about what you can do to keep your salvation. I offer you this morning the truth. Here's Satan's lie: You are too horrible a person to be saved. You you can't live up to this. Here's the truth of God's word. If God can save Paul, the worst of sinners, and John Newton and Martin Luther, he can save me too. And save me in such a way that I'm kept by his power and not my own. When Satan whispers this into your ear. You shout the truth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, Fred Lodge, whosoever would believe in him, shout. have everlasting life. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, Satan is so clever. He's so good at what he does. He gives us a counterfeit trust that we can trust in our own goodness or trust in our own benevolence. Well, we can trust in measuring ourselves better than we would measure somebody else. At least I'm not as bad as that one. Lies. God save us from his lies. And when he whispers into my ear, Fred, you're worthless. Holy Spirit, whisper in my other ear. You are my child. I love you. I died for you. So now you get to live for me. We are so susceptible to his lies. May we decide to stand in your truth. Today, Maybe there may very well be someone right here in the sanctuary watching by media. And they've heard this lie. And it's tormented their soul. But right now, Holy Spirit, you're speaking to their heart. And you're saying, those are all lies. This is truth. You can receive me into your life. Right now, anyone in the sound of my voice, if you want to be free from Satan's lie and know the love and grace of Jesus Christ, pray with me right now. Dear God, I readily confess to you, I I readily admit that I have rebelled against you, I am a sinner every bit as bad as Paul or John Newton or anybody else. And I can't save myself. I know I'm destined for eternity apart from you. But right now I dare to believe that Jesus, when you died on the cross, it was to take my sins upon yourself. That it was to take God's just wrath against my sins on you and you were buried but you rose from the dead you rose from the dead that I might have your life oh come into my heart Lord Jesus cleanse me and forgive me I give control of my life over to you. Start that process of transforming me. Speak truth to my heart that I am now your child. I dare to believe this in Christ's name. And Father, I know by your authority, and you've never lied and never will, that anyone who believes in you and puts their absolute trust in you, surrenders their life to you, asks you to be their boss and Lord, you will not refuse. You haven't refused anybody in this sanctuary and you haven't refused anybody watching by media. Rather, you've taken them at their word and you've already begun to restore their lives. Father God, If anyone here today has made that decision in these next few moments, will you encourage them to come and take Derek or Tony by the hand and just say, I prayed with the pastor. Because we want to celebrate with them. We want to celebrate that they've come into the family of God. Anyone at home that's prayed along with us. Lord, you encourage them to contact us, to let us rejoice with them. Maybe there's someone here today and they're they're already a believer in Christ but they want to unite with this fellowship. You encourage them to come and and take Derek or Tony by the hand and just say, I want to be a part of this great church. And maybe some want to come to the altar and just say, Lord, I've doubted your salvation but I want to lay all these doubts on the altar and stand up him here with absolute assurance that what you've begun in me, you will finish. This is our time of invitation, Holy Spirit. Will you move in our hearts and lives as we say yes to you in Christ's name?